Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. So last week I, I started telling y'all a story, and I just decided to scrap that whole thing. I'm not gonna, we're not gonna, not, not really, not really. <laughs> Um, no, for y'all that wasn't here or need a refresher on what it was, uh, we had a 900-acre pasture. Now, that that's roughly about a mile and a half worth of land under one fence. Now, the, the pasture was separated right down the middle. It was an old farm is what it was. And those are the worst things to run cattle on because it was farmed 50 years ago. So the soil was just right for mesquite to come up everywhere. And so the house and the pen sat right in the middle, and the, the dividing fence went right from the pens all the way uh, west to the to the far fence. And what we would do is we would, and the cattle could be on both sides, the gates were open, so what we'd do is we'd shut the gate at the pens. And me and six other cowboys, there were seven of us, we started going across half of this pasture, and we'd push all the cows to the front, and then they would go through the gate, and then we would all go through the gate, line back up, push them all back to the pens. Now, we had done this, I don't know how many times, you know, five, six times a year sometimes, and we'd been doing it for ten years, so the cattle knew exactly what to do and everything. Well, on this particular day, um, we, we had a lot of help. A lot of times it was only three, uh, probably three. I think that's the least we ever did that pasture with was three. Today we had seven people. So, you know, we wouldn't lined up very far apart at all. But even though we wasn't very far apart, you couldn't see each other. You could hear going through the brush. Ah, ouch! You know, I mean, it was thick. There was times you had to back up and try another route because you'd get stuck. I mean, it was that brushy. And so, anyway, and then that's not even counting whenever you'd get to the old cement ditches. And, you know, sometimes your horse will cross them, sometimes they won't. Mine would, you know, get up there right up to the edge and then jump it like, you know, Superman, and I'd nearly fall off, and glad nobody could see me for all the brush. And so, anyway, we we gathered the first side, we, we all went to the gate, and we... Line back up across the other side, and we start going, and you can hear people crashing through the brush and everything like that. And it's it's like you it's never ending. I mean, it's just a, a a wall of brush that you're trying to get through, and you hope you're going in the right direction. And so anyway, finally it breaks open, and me and a couple other guys were staying right in each other, and we came out a brush, and then the other cowboys came out. And what we had gathered that day made all of our jaws drop. It had never, I'd never seen this happen before. I'd never experienced it before. But what we had gathered, what made all of our jaws hit the ground, was we had gathered absolutely nothing. <laughs> Not one head did we have. We all looked around because, I mean, it wasn't uncommon not to see anything. You know, they'd be all bunched up over here and somebody would push them all. But we did. We got to the pens and we did not have one single head. Now, I had heard them, so I knew that they were in there. But it was just so brushy that those cows, especially if they had new calves, man, they'd get up in there where they knew a horse couldn't go and they'd just brush up and just hide. And so anyway, we had to go and we had to do it again. Well, this time we had to be, uh, you know, pretty, pretty diligent about it. And this time we, the next time around, uh, we got everything. But you know, 
I've been talking to y'all about the story of grace. Now, what is grace? Grace can be summed up like this. Something for nothing. Because if you have to pay for it, it's not grace. And if you have to try to earn it, it's not a gift. Grace is a gift from God that you don't deserve, that you don't have to earn, and that you don't have to pay back. And before I forget, I'm going to stop right here, because I meant to do this at the very beginning, and I would like everybody to say congratulations to our newest board member, Mrs. Sunny Oker. Sorry about that. Already falling down on my job. But anyway, so grace, that's how she made board is grace. Um, she did, and, and seriously, she did nothing to earn it. She did nothing to deserve it except follow God. And, that, and that's what we are all supposed to do. That is our job is to follow God, to, to receive those blessings. You know, and a month ago we started this series and, and I talked about how God wants us to be a, Jesus paved the way so that we could be a son of God. We could be one of God's kids. And there's nothing that we did to earn it. There's nothing that we did to deserve it. There's nothing that we can do to pay it back. It's grace. That's the only way you can be a son or a daughter of God is through grace. The second thing we talked about was reconciliation. And, and, and just to, to give you a little background on that, in case you weren't here, uh, reconciliation is, is where you, you kind of two enemies come together and, and make a peace treaty and now they're buddies. Okay? Well, in the Old Testament, the one that messed up had to do that. They had to go and say, I'm sorry, and blah, 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 and offer to make payments or reparations or whatever, but not in God's terms. See, we're the ones that messed up, but yet God paved the way by sending His Son to die for us so that we could be brought back together. It was amazing. In today's day and age, it's probably not that big of a deal, but back then, people were like, wait, wait, this is totally against everything we've been taught. And see, I know because grace, in preaching grace these past, today marks the fourth Sunday in a row I've been preaching on grace. I, I've seen a lot of people be like, wait a minute, this is going against everything I've been told. Because what you're telling me, Kevin, is that my job as a Christian is to receive the love of God and to depend on the love of God and that there's nothing that I can do. And I'm like, that's exactly right. See, religion can be summed up like, if I do this, God will do that. If I do this, God will do that. That's religion. But yet when Jesus came, He became a high priest. He paved the way to God. There's no longer a temple separating us from God. And now we can say that God did this, and I receive that. And what we receive is grace. Last week we talked about righteousness. God took all of our mistakes and put them on the one person in the history of mankind that never made a single one, and that was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He took every one of our mistakes of everybody that had ever lived, past, present, and future, every mistake, every sin, past, present, and future, and He put it on His Son and punished His Son as if He had done every single one of them. And if that wasn't good news enough, He took everything that Jesus had done right and gave it to us. And now we are right in Jesus, in God's eyes. It's the, the big fancy church where it's righteous. We are righteous in God's eyes, not based upon what we did, based upon what Jesus did. 
And today we're going to talk about forgiveness. Now see, I think that this is, we're starting to get into these topics that just really, really bother people because you know, some people, maybe you're new to Christianity or maybe you just don't know, even if this is your cup of tea. Maybe you think, oh, you know, I'm just a good person so everything's going to be alright. Maybe you don't think that you need forgiveness. But see, Jesus shed His blood on that cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you don't think that you need to be forgiven of any, then you probably won't be. See, what sin does, the reason that it's so detrimental is what sin does is it hides God's blessings. It, it, it becomes a barrier between God and us. Okay, Just like whenever we were gathering those cattle, they were there. They were right there, and this is only a 900-acre pasture, and actually it was only a 450-acre pasture. The cattle were all right there, but there was so much brush growed up, and it was so thick that we couldn't see it. And see, that's the problem with a lot of people. We talked about all of those blessings last week in Proverbs chapter 10 of, of super strength and super wisdom and all of this stuff, and they're like, hey, Kevin, that's great, man. I, I, I get that, except I don't see any of that in my life. Well, maybe you need to receive the forgiveness that Jesus died to give you. Because, I mean, He's going to lay the gift at your feet. He died for you to have it. But He's not going to, you know, hold open your mouth and, you know, stick it in and close your mouth and blow in your face like you're a baby to make you take it. You're going to have to literally go, man, I, I really don't deserve this, but I'm going to take it anyway. See, that's grace, to receive the forgiveness. But sin hides God's blessings from us. It's not that they're not there, but it hides it from us. And sometimes we ride right by the blessing, and how can you be thankful for something that you rode by that you didn't even see? We have to be sure that we have received the forgiveness that's going to clear all of this brush out. I mean, I, I loved whenever I first came to Colorado. They said, hey, man, will you come help us gather cattle? I'm like, yeah, sure. I got out there and got up on a hill and I could see every cow. I was like, man, this is great. This is, you know, you don't need a lot of people for this. But then I realized that it's uh, kind of hard to gather them because they're fat and they don't want to go anywhere. So it did take us a long time to. I spent 45 minutes in a section about like this one day trying to push a bunch of cattle. It's like trying to push water uphill. But sin hides God's blessings. And, and you know what else sin does? It makes what we do ineffective, just like gathering cattle that day. We had gone through all of the motions. We had put out all the effort. But because that brush hid everything, it made our job ineffective. It renders us ineffective in what we're trying to do. And the third thing is one that not only renders us ineffective, and it not only renders us powerless, but it also renders the church powerless. So what makes us different? What separates a Christian from a non-believer? Are, are we in some elite club? No, not by any means. We're going to continue to do probably the same jobs we've, we've done when we were lost, but what makes us different? Well, you know, if you, in Judges chapter, you don't have to turn over here, I'm just going to read one verse. But in Judges chapter 21, in the very, very last 
The very last sentence, the very last verse of Judges. Now, what Judges is, is Moses took them out, the Israelites out of the Promised Land. Most of you, the movie's coming out with Moses and the Red Sea and everything like that. Hopefully, it's done pretty well. But uh, anyway, so Moses takes them out. They spend 40 years in the desert. Moses kind of makes a mistake, and God don't let him into the Promised Land. But Joshua is going to lead them into the Promised Land. Now, Judges takes place between... Um, when Saul is first anointed as the first king of Israel, and uh, when Joshua dies. Okay. Now, if you want to summarize the book of Judges, here's what it is. Joshua, at the end of his life, says, man, don't give up believing in God and doing what he says and leaning only on him. And don't go after these other gods. There's only one God, and he will take care of you if you will follow him and him alone. And everybody went, yeah! And then Joshua died and started worshiping Baal and sacrificing their own kids. And they took the gods of the people that were around them. And so what happened is all through the book of Judges, this is, covers about a 375-year span, what happens is the Israelites turn to other gods, which aren't gods at all. They turn to other gods, and then these people would invade them and, and kick their high knees and make them make life miserable, and then they would repent and they would cry out to God, and God would send somebody that would bring them back out of and deliver them from the oppression that they were going through. And then guess what would happen? Everything thing would be good for a little while, and then they'd go back to worshiping these other gods, and something bad would happen, and then they would cry out to God, and God would send another person. And, and this cycle just repeated and repeated and repeated. But in Judges chapter 16, is uh, 13, 14, 15, and 16, is the story of a judge... And what a judge was is one of these people sent by God to deliver Israel from the oppression of the Philistines in this section here. And it's the story of a guy named Samson. Okay. Now Samson was the strongest feller to ever live and he was, uh, he was dedicated to God. He had take, uh, his parents had given him a Nazarite vow. Now this Nazarite vow was like, he's going to be super for God to the point of he can't touch anything dead. He, a razor never touches any hair on his head. Uh, and he can't drink anything made from a grape. So no grape juice, no wine, no nothing like that. That was his vow and everything. Later on in life, Samson breaks all of those. Okay, He just kind of starts going his own direction. And, and I, I forgot to read you what verse 21-25 said. But verse 21-25 says, In those days Israel had no king. And the last one, two, three, four, five, six words of Judges says this. Everyone did right. Everyone did as he saw fit. Everyone did right by what was in their own eyes. Everybody just said, well, I think it should be this way, so that's the way they did it. And you know what? That is a recipe for disaster because only God's way is the right way. But every, you know, and, and a lot of people are like, well, you know, I don't, I've, I've never killed anybody. You know, I don't drink too much. I do this. I, I've never cheated on my spouse and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, really, I, I, I'm not a big sinner. You know, I may make mistakes and everything. But you know what? When you live your life doing as you see fit, that is a trap that you're going to fall into. And that is a trap that Samson fell into. He was the strongest anointed by God. I mean, this guy was walking along the, the, the path one time and a, and a lion jumps out and he rips the lion in half. I mean, you've got to be like nearly as strong as me to do that. 
I mean, I can tear a piece of paper in half, but it's probably about it. But, you know, Samson is double tough, but he meets this girl. She's a Philistine. Remember I said that they go and they start doing what their neighbors are doing? He finds him a Philistine woman named Delilah. And that's where you find him in Judges 16, and, and he falls in love with Delilah, and he's getting, he's getting toasted every night, and he's just he's doing everything wrong. And the Philistines, the enemies, come up to Delilah, and they say, hey, we need to figure out how to oh, kick o Samson's tail. We got to figure out a way to bind him and kill him. So we will pay, we'll each pay you a thousand silver pieces if you can find out the secret to Samson's strength. And so Delilah says, okay, I'll do it. And so in Delilah, in verse 16, 6, she says, Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength. Now you know Samson's an idiot, right? Listen to this. This is what his girlfriend tells him. Tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. Okay, now Samson, let's... What was your first clue <laughs> that this might be a toxic relationship? Okay? I mean, his girlfriend is saying, how can we tie you up and subdue you and kill you? <laughs> and so Samson tells her, he said, well, you know, if you tie me up with like seven bowstrings that haven't been dried, then, then I'll become as weak as any other man. So she gets him toasted. He he passes out. He's drunk. She ties him up with seven bowstrings that haven't been uh, dried out. She says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumps up and snaps them like twigs, kills them all. And then she says, you have made a fool of me. <laughs> Man, good grief, Samson. <laughs> I mean, really. You have made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come on now. Tell me how we can beat you. <laughs> you know, you, you, we, we sit here and we think, you know what? If, if I was in that situation, maybe I would make a different decision. You know, because it's painfully obvious that this might not work out well. But so she says, you lied to me. You made a fool of me. Tell me how you can be tied up and subdued and captured. And he's like, well, okay, if you tie me securely with brand new ropes, I'll become as weak as any other man. So he gets toasted. He passes out and everything. She ties him up with new ropes, and then she gets right up on him, and she's like, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he comes up, pops them, kills them all. Well, now she's really mad. And she says in verse 13, Until now you have been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. I mean, I, I don't know. It doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out that this is going somewhere wrong. But, you know, Samson, he, he lies to her. He thinks, you know what, I can continue to do what I want to do and everything's going to be all right and everything. And so he, he basically tells her, um, if you were to weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom, basically what he's talking about, and I'm just going to put it in layman's term, he said, if you can wrap my head around a sewing machine. Okay, if you can my hair up in a sewing machine, then I'll become as weak as any other man. So it don't take a brain surgeon once again to figure out what happened. She did, just like Samson told her. And she comes in, she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumps up, rips his hair out the sewing machine, kills them all. Did he learn? No. No. Again, she said, uh, how can you say I love you? She's pulling out all the stops now. You said that you loved me. <laughs> if you really loved me, you would tell me what it would take to get you killed. Again, she says, how can, I, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And then in verse 16, there's a very key verse right here. 
<laughs> Ken's giggling because he just read it. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death of it and told her the truth. <laughs> there it is. There it is. She was in his old ear every day, just nah, 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 nah. Finally, he's like, you know what? Kill me. Just kill me. I'm done. I'm done. So he does. So he, <laughs> verse 16, with such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. In verse 17, so he told her everything. <laughs> Poor Santon. Oh, he might have been the strongest man, but he might have been just a little bit lacking up here. You know, I mean, he's been doing everything wrong. You know, and I, and I think that he thought that he would be able to, uh, to handle this situation and everything. But sure enough, he says, you know, my, my hair, the length of my hair is the key to my strength and no razor has ever cut it. And she goes and cuts hair. Sure enough, my mic was cutting out. And uh, sure enough, she comes in and guess what? It says right here in verse 20, Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Here's the question. We're talking of forgiveness. What is your Delilah? Because we've all got a Delilah. You know that thing that you struggle with, that you've just kept going on and on? You know what? I can control this. This thing will be fine. You know what? It, you know, I know I'm doing wrong, but as long as I keep going and, and I keep my head above water, this will never get the best of me. But even the strongest man in the world fell into sin, and it eventually caught up with him. The Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. See, that's what sin will do to you when you keep going and you keep going and you keep going and you keep going. It's going to blind you. No longer do you see it as something that you're doing wrong. And it will gouge your eyes out and it will put you in bondage. When, when, when God says that these are sins, He's not talking about sin to keep us from, from doing what is good. He's keeping us from the things that are going to harm us in the long run. Sin always has consequences. But see, we've been freed from all of that. We have absolutely been freed from all of that. But I said that sin makes God's blessings hard to see. Now, Sam's eyes were gouged out because of his sin. So yeah, God's blessings were hard to see. And then I said, sin makes what we do ineffective. It sure rendered Samson ineffective. But here's the third one. The reason I told you the whole Samson story. You know what sin makes you do? Makes you average. See, three times. In verse 7 he says, Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. See, that's what sin ultimately does to us. It makes us average. It renders us ineffective. It makes God's blessings hard to see. Every time that we know that we shouldn't do something and we do that and we continue to do that, it renders us ineffective. It makes God's blessings hard to see. And it makes us as weak as anybody else. See, I, I ask this question. What makes us different? We have God on our side. But sin gets in the way of that. Have you not been seeing God's blessings in your life? Maybe you need to believe and receive that forgiveness. And that forgiveness doesn't mean that you can continue to go on and do the things that you know that you shouldn't do. 
See, when you really believe and you really receive that forgiveness and you know that your, your slate has been wiped clean, it renders sin powerless in your life. Paul said, do we go on sinning just so that grace may abound? He says, no, we don't do that. We need to understand that Jesus died on that cross to forgive us of our sins. And that sin no longer is our Delilah that is tying us up, that is binding us up, that's making it hard for us to see God's blessings. It's making us ineffective, and it's making us just like everybody else. Can you imagine what would happen The same Spirit of the Lord, the same Holy Spirit that was in Samson, now resides in each and every believer of Jesus Christ. And you know what? I'm here to say that we are as powerful as Samson. But yet, a lot of us are going around continuing to sin and and live in that. And and I don't even know what that is. We've all been there, done that, or are there and doing that. Or chances are you may get there and do that. But we have to understand that we have been forgiven. Have you been seeing God's blessings in your life? If not, maybe you need to receive and believe that forgiveness. Does everything seem like it is ineffective? I mean, does it seem like no matter what you do, it just kind of comes out, eh? Maybe you need to believe and receive in that forgiveness. Do you feel like your life is turned around? I mean, you don't even know which direction you're going right now. The very first key is to believe and receive in that forgiveness that Jesus shed his blood for. And do you want to be anything except average? I mean, is that really what is in our hearts as Christians is, man, I'm going to strive just to be average. That's what I'm shooting for. Man, if that's the way you feel, come talk to me, man. There, there, there's some issues going on there. I want to be above average. I serve an extraordinary God, and I want to live an extraordinary life. And I want that for y'all too, but sin gets in the way of that. And what's the key? The key is to know that you have been forgiven of all of it. And see, what sin actually does is Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said that. But that doesn't mean that he's not standing right there and we turn our backs on him. That's what sin does to us. We turn our backs on God. We need to receive and believe in that forgiveness that Jesus shed his blood for. And the second thing we need to do is repent. And all repent means is to turn around and face God and let him take care of you again. That's it. Some of you are thinking, you know what, I, I know what my Delilah is. I can see the Holy Spirit's talking to me and I can see where this is rendering me ineffective and, I, and I'm just, I'm just, I just feel like I'm just existing. And I feel like nothing I do ever comes to anything or it doesn't come to what I thought it was going to do. And I've even prayed about it and all of this stuff, but it's still, I can't see God's blessings in my life. I'm ineffective and I do just feel average or below that. Man, you need to believe and receive that forgiveness. There's nothing that you did to deserve it. There's nothing that you did that you can pay it back. There's nothing that you can do to pay it back. Now, I had somebody say, you keep talking about just receiving and believing all of this stuff, and I'm not talking about that name it and claim it stuff, but what I'm talking about, you know what receiving and believing, you know what the big fancy church word for that is? Faith. That is what faith is, is to receive and believe the grace that God has given you. That's it. And you know what? Sin is in the way of a lot of our lives, and we continue to live in it. But I want you to have an extraordinary life. I want you to have an extraordinary 
testimony. I want you to make a difference in people's lives, but in changing other people's lives, your lives will be changed into something that you never thought possible. And you're here for a reason because God is standing behind you saying, turn back to me. I want you so much that I sent my son to die for you so that your sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. What an amazing opportunity every single one of us has to be forgiven. That we no longer just do what is right in our own eyes. That that our moral compass is what we think and what we believe when it should be what God knows and what God says. That is the only way that you will become extraordinary is by depending on what Jesus has already done and how we can follow him and we have the assurance that everything has been forgiven. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your message today. We thank you for the forgiveness. That forgiveness was sealed in blood on a wooden cross that your son was nailed to. Dad, we just thank you for that of you paving the way back for us. You, your son built that bridge that all we have to do is just turn around and just walk across it because there's nothing that we can do to earn it and there's nothing we have done or can do to deserve it. Dad, I know that you're talking to a lot of people right now. Give them the courage because it does take courage to walk away from that because no Delilah is ever ugly. There, it's every Delilah is seductive and beautiful, and and you we think that we can continue to do that without any consequences, but it always catches up with us and renders us ineffective and renders us blind and renders us average. God, your work is extraordinary and it's available to each and every one of us if we will only take the time and have the courage to turn around and accept it. And I pray that that's what's done today, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.